Go. Hey, so welcome everybody to another episode of Doctrines of Rad. I know this is our fifth episode, although we have six episodes on our website. Uh, don't worry about that. We'll explain later on. Uh, but today we have a special guest, uh, Josh Slater, Pastor Slater, is going to tell us a lot about how he's uh, interacted with, uh, I guess, America at large, uh, at Christianity, um, at Christian America specifically, um, and give us some tips on uh, some areas that he sees, some downfalls or some uh, areas that the church is growing overall. So, hey, Josh, how are you? Um, once again, guys, I'm Logan. This is Drew, and this Hello. is the Doctrine Brad. Greetings. Josh, do you mind take, taking a couple seconds just to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Josh Slater. I'm the pastor of a small church in uh, Texas, South Texas. And um, I don't know, man, I love the Lord. I uh, ran from him for a long time, but now I'm glad that uh, that he's, I'm glad he saved me. And I'm glad that yeah, I can. Uh, I'm glad he saved you too, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, but no, it's good. I, I'm blessed to serve uh, this small congregation. I've been here for about a year and a half. And uh, yeah. God's doing some great things in this little town of 1,100 people. Um, and anyway, that's a little bit about me. I'm married. I've got three kids, and we just got a bearded dragon. So our lives are kind of hectic right now. What's the bearded yeah. dragon's oh, name? Draco. <laughs> My eight-year-old named him Draco. Draco. Oh, nice. We had one named Chuck Norris for a while. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Draco. My uh, my son's a – I know this is probably going to trigger some people. My son is a uh, – a fan of the Harry Potter series. And so oh, and that's and Draco in Latin is dragon. And he's yeah. like, Oh yeah, let's name him Draco. So yeah, we, we drove four hours the other day just to get that dragon. So it was a good time. Does he know him. you're a Hufflepuff? Does he know I'm a Hufflepuff? I don't know what he, I don't know what he thinks I am. <laughs> I don't know if that's nerd code, but did you just call him a bad word or something? Pretty much. All right, Josh. So you, so you were a pastor at a church in Georgia, um, and now you're yes. pastoring at another church. Um, do you find that to be kind of uh, the the norm for pastors that they tend to switch churches regularly? Uh, um, so it's funny that you asked that. I was an associate pastor at the church in Georgia, so it was just mm-hmm. I was a, an associate role, part time role. And um, when I came to this church. You know what they were doing some history. This church here in Texas has been around since uh, 1900. It was established in the year 1900, and since then they've only had one pastor who stayed here longer than three years. Um, so yeah, I see that there's a lot of shifting around of pastors, especially um, in in churches that pastors don't establish. Like if you are a founding pastor of a a church, you tend to stay a lot longer than if you're just kind of passing through. And a lot of people see these churches as stepping stones to something better. Right. Um, Kind of like it's kind of like with youth ministry. Usually when you talk to somebody about youth ministry, it is a stepping stone from being here to being a senior pastor. And so unfortunately, the churches get the short end of that stick. Right. They're getting the short end of that stick because a pastor knows or comes in knowing that they're only going to be there for a few years and only being there for a few years. They don't really have they can do a good job, but then they just leave. Right. And and so that that leads us into kind of our topic tonight. You know, knowing that a pastor is going to leave. Right. Mm. They should really yeah. be training their congregation to exist without them. Right. Yeah. So. um the way I look at ministry is like I would 
be okay with working myself out of a job. Does that make sense? Yeah, in, the, in the sense that in, the, in the sense the, that you're raising up elders, yeah. In the sense that I'm raising up elders, and I'm a, and the church doesn't look to me to be their foundation of making sure that things run smoothly and making sure that things happen the way that that they believe they should happen. So training up people to take over, right? So one of my one of my gifts, maybe it's just because I'm lazy, is I like to train people. I like to to disciple people so that. If if something happens, whether I I move away or you know uh, I get fired for whatever reason or I suddenly pass away, like the church isn't going to be without leadership. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, anyway, that's kind of that's I, kind that of what reminds I, me I, of a thing. You know how some feminists will try to say, uh, well, you know, if there's no men that'll stand up, God'll send a strong woman to do the man's job and it's like if it's the same God that you're thinking about, then no, he'll send a man to do the yeah. man's job. It it does not doesn't have to be miraculous, guys. Let's just stick to scripture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they usually go they usually lean on that uh, on Deborah from the Old Testament to make their yes. point. Yes. Um, yeah. which, you know, Deborah did some mighty things and she was used by God, but um, she was a judge. to their she shame. Yeah. She wasn't a pastor. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was to their shame uh, that there weren't guys shame. who were stepping up and doing it, doing it. Um, but, but the great thing about God is like, he's going to use whatever means necessary to get his mission accomplished. Right. And That's so right. I, I look at myself as just like, I, I tell my congregation all the time that I am just a pastor. Like I am just a guy who is in a different position in the church than you are, but we're all called to do ministry. Like I'm not any better or worse than you. I am. I'm literally just a sinner saved by grace who needs to um, rely on God just as much as you guys do, right? And so, no, I don't believe you. Too often, you know, pastors are um, elevated and puffed and puffed up, right? Or they try to do that themselves. And so, what I'm trying to do is let them know that I'm just a guy who has yeah. God has gifted me to to equip the church um, in a certain way. Were you going to say something, Logan? Sorry. No, I was going to say, yeah, absolutely. So just being the guy that God has equipped, right? But it, oftentimes it's so many people have been equipped with different talents and they don't take the opportunity to act upon them, right? So they don't right. they don't begin to use their talents. And it's important here in America that we train people to use their talents appropriately um, for the kingdom of God, right? To move the kingdom forward. Um, absolutely and, and i think that's a huge problem and i wanted to kind of touch on uh here, here can i in ask a, second. a couple questions Logan? Yeah. yeah thanks man sorry uh so how long have you been pastoring so i've been at this church for about a year and a half and i was at the church in georgia for about two years before we left there so only for about three and a half four years okay so um i was uh i heard a, a, a saying i was listening to a podcast that had uh Dr. Kim Riddlebarger. I don't know if you're familiar with Kim Riddlebarger. He wrote a couple different books. Um, but he he said that one of the things that the church has failed in the last couple decades is that we've been building congregations, but we have not been building disciples. What would you think about that? I would agree wholeheartedly. So I'm actually I'm reading a book right now um, called Future Church and talks about the different. Um, have you all heard about this book at all? Um, yes. It sounds kind of familiar. Is it heretical? 
not so far. It's been really good. Uh, what he one of the things he does is he takes an overview of the last seventy years of church history, right? So so modern church history, and he looks at the different ways that those churches have grown, whether it's post boomer or it was you know uh, suburbia or whatever. And he talks about the fact that. One of the things that that has been focused on, especially in the last 20 to 30 years, is program driven churches, right, mm. where, where your churches are focused on building programs to get people in. But he says what we have to do as as uh, leaders and pastors is we, we we use those programs to get the foot in the door. But we 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 uh, engage the people and keep the people engaged by sharing the gospel with them and teaching them how to live out the faith that they have. Like, yeah. because if a program is what's drawing people to church, right, whether it's VBS or children's ministry, what if a program is what's drawing the people to church and that program somehow goes away or doesn't meet certain expectations, what happens is those families leave the church because they're not getting those needs. Yeah. You can use programs to bring people in, right? But you want them to stay and be invested in the church because of the vision of the church, so to speak, Amen. right? Uh, to yeah. reach the nations, um, to reach your community, to, to preach the gospel and be faithful what you've been given. So. What's the saying about uh, you win you win them with what you sell them with or something like that when it comes to with the, the types of like, especially with programs, like there is a whole movement for anybody who's not been in the church for say, I don't know, 20 years or so, the seeker sensitive movement that kind of hit the American church over the last 15 years was well, probably even before I think it started probably about 20 to 30 years ago, the seeker sensitive yeah. stuff, but those type of programs was kind of the, yeah. Yeah. With that, was that, uh, uh, well, who, who did settle it? Rick something, right? Rick Warren, Rick Warren. <laughs> that's right. The purpose driven life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Get saved and well, worship and so, Jesus. There books over. And, I just gave it so to you. If, Y'all's age is showing. If you really look Listen, at it, young you really man. think about it. If, if, <laughs> If programs are what has driven the church and not true discipleship, then it shouldn't surprise us the deconstruction movement that we're seeing right now. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Because if we're not discipling people and we're not training them in understanding how to read the Bible and 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 in apologetics and in all these different areas, if we're not actually training them to be ministers for the gospel, then yeah. when something shakes their faith, you can see them fall away. Yeah. What right? are we because, selling them? Right. Like what exactly, are we, what yeah. are we drawing? Are we drawing them to a nice worship band and like cool music yeah. with a smoke machine or. Yes are, though. That because we bring in our commercialism, right. Our consumer mindset begins to like, we, mm. you know, we're, we're consumers all like day it. long. Yeah. And then we take our consumerism into our spiritual walk and we go into a church and it's like, well, I really didn't like how there wasn't, you know, you know the, the band wasn't loud enough or there wasn't a drum set or there wasn't enough diversity. Like the, right. that church that's closest to you is where you where you should, as long as they're not heretical, be planting mm-hmm. seeds and be moving the kingdom of God. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I tell people problem for us. I tell people that if God has called you to a, a church, then he has equipped you to serve that church in some way. And if you're not serving that church in the way that he has equipped you to, then you are robbing them of your abilities. You're robbing them of the the blessings of service. And you're not only that, but you're robbing God of his glory. Right. I mean, if you're not doing what God has called you to do in the church body, then you are harming. Right. The the body of Christ and you are 
hindering the mission that God has set out before us. Right. So it's really important for us to be involved in the church. It's very important for us to to find out where our gifts are, where our talents are that God has given us and and use those for his glory. Right. And for the good of the congregation. I mean, it's a blessing to serve the people of God. Right. right. Whatever your gift is, if your gift is just sweeping the floors really well, then by golly, go sweep the floors really well. Right. I've got it. I've got a guy in my church who wants no recognition for anything, but he's like a super handyman. So we've been doing new light fixtures, right? And somebody one time mentioned to him, we need a ramp outside one of our doors. And the next week that ramp was up, right? He's seeking, he's not seeking anything. He just knows that there's, he's gifted in a certain way and he's out there just doing the work. And that is the type of people that we need in church, right? Before we get too far, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Finish. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I was just going to riff on that a little bit longer. So Satchel was asking, he's like, and I think this is in relation to your last point, is it a fear of becoming a club rather than a discipleship work? Is that like the maybe the the danger of of those previous things that we were talking about, like maybe the seeker-sensitive stuff? Like, is it maybe out of fear? Like, we don't want to be clicky. Do you, have you seen that in your church? Do you see clicks and people like, you know, grouping together, kind of leaving other people out? Yeah. So part of the issue that I have within my church specifically is that we are a church, we are a family church, right? And we're in a community and this community has had, um, has had the same people come into the church forever, right? I mean, if you, if you look at a last name, you know, that name is somebody that has been in that church for 75 years. So, What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to develop community with those people. And I tell them that you may know about these people, but you may not actually know the people, right? So knowing about them is okay, but knowing them deeply. And I think that's part of discipleship that we sometimes can, especially myself, that that I can miss out on because I'm wanting to teach them. I want to train them. I want them to, to read their Bible and know how to read it well. But if we're not doing that in community, if you're not doing that with your neighbor, then you're missing out on something. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, so I think you do have that fear of clicks, right? You do have that fear. But if you have authentic. Well, because clicks are, I think clicks are kind of natural human nature, right? Like we we tend to group each other up with other people that are similar. Like I'm a gamer. I'm probably going to like get together with more gamers in the church sort of thing. So where, how can you help us to know? What would a dangerous click look like? Where or what would be some some warning signs for you as a pastor yeah. to see and be like, maybe I need to step in or or maybe I just need to touch base and reach out and see like how things are going. But what would be something yeah. or something that you've experienced? But yeah, what would be like something like I, that? I think that's a great question, Drew. And and for me, like I look at it this way. I look at it this. You're right. Clicks nat- naturally happen, right? They're gonna naturally you're gonna group with people that that you identify with. I think the problem with clicks, like the the true problem with clicks is when they start causing division mm-hmm. and when somebody starts to feel left out. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, and so if somebody is feeling isolated, right. So if you have a church and everybody's feeling like they're part of community, right. Even if they're not part of, you know, the 70 year old community, but they're part of the, the young adult community or what, you know what I mean? As long as they feel like they're part of the church, like, like they have to understand that they're part of something bigger than just the individual groups. Right. Yeah. And so if those individual groups start causing division within 
the the larger group, that's when the red flags really start showing up, right? And um, and so we've just got to be you've got to be mindful and you've got to look out and you've got to as a pastor, I've got to be able to touch base with everybody. Like I shouldn't be clicky, but it's hard, right? I mean, because I'm a human, right? And so it's it's easy for me to be drawn to certain. No, people, that's good, especially people who who make me feel good. Right. Or and not like in a creepy way, but like just make me, you know, they're always like, man, that was a great message, blah, 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 blah. I always want to hang out with those people. They're very affirming. Encouraging. Yeah, they're very affirming. Yeah. And so um, I've got to make sure that I have my pulse on the congregation. And so I always make it a point to to go like in the service whenever before the service starts. I try to go shake everybody's hand. That's really easy because I've only got a congregation about 35 to 40 people. Right. So it's easy for me to at least touch base with family members. But when you've got larger churches than that, you know, you can have a little bit of issue. But I've got to I've just got to know and and listen to what people are actually saying and reading in between the lines of what they're saying as well. Right. Because sometimes they can be saying I'm OK when they're not really yeah. and uh, making sure that they connect with somebody. What uh, what is a I mean, what does a pastor do? I mean, so because let's 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 dispel some myths about what a yeah. pastor does, because when we talk about, like you mentioned pastor, I think Logan might've said pastor worship earlier, but how, cause you know, that's a hard thing. Like we're dealing with fallible human beings in a church. We're dealing with people who are looking for guidance in the church. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure that congregations have expectations of you, Josh, that you are like, mm-hmm. I, this is not, this is not where I'm called, or maybe this is not my strongest gifting, but I have another elder or something. So what are some of those uh, things that yeah. keep you from being like worshiped as a pastor? Um, but yeah, please go ahead. There, There is an automatic pedestal that a pastor has put on that yeah. you cannot break. Like I've, no matter how much, and Josh, maybe you can attest this, no matter how much you get up there and say, hey, I'm just a normal guy. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And for some reason, you cannot break that mental shift in their mind where they don't yeah. see you as the leader of the flock, right? As the as the shepherd of the flock, right? Yeah. Even in churches where it's as biblical as possible with elders and deacons, that person who is preaching most often is in the role of pastor, right? Like pastoralship mm-hmm. where he's counseling and guiding and even leading the elders, right? Um, th- that shift will never happen in their mind until something happens. Right. And by that time it's right. too late. Well, yeah. And it, and it is true. I mean, I had this lady tell me the other day, just this past Sunday. So I, I got finished preaching Sunday and I was like, Oh, this message was horrible. Like, oh, no. I, I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens, dude, but here's the thing. Like a lot of the <laughs> times it. what happens is, is you think that passage that, that, that preaching was horrible. And then everybody's like, that was one of the best messages you've ever preached. Right. Wow. And I'm like, Really? Okay. It didn't seem that way. Holy but anyway, so I, that's Holy right. That's spirit. right. Activate. No, no, no. That's how you get God to do stuff for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had this one lady who, whom I love, and she always she tells me she's like, "You've never preached a bad, a bad, a bad sermon." And I'm like, "Okay, well now you're just now you're just blowing smoke, right?" Um, <laughs> right. But. But but she's one of those people I gravitate towards because she always makes me feel good, right? That she's always encouraging in, in that way. But yeah, I mean, so one of the things I I really shine right is I'm I'm a good I'm a good teacher. I'm not a great preacher, but I'm a pretty good teacher. And mm. that's not to toot my own horn. That's just how. God oh, that's is. a that's a humble statement right there because you just said I'm a pretty good preacher, but I'm a great teacher, and that is 
there is nothing wrong, I think, personally, in having confidence in the gifts that God has given you. Yeah. I think you should. Because God has given you that blessing. Why not be uh, of the utmost of confidence? Right. Well, and so, so, so we're, go ahead. Logan, were you going to say something? No, I said, yeah, that's good. Good stuff. I appreciate that, Drew. Um, But for me, like one of the things that I do, especially in those more intimate moments, whether it be Sunday school or it be like on a Wednesday night when we're doing a Bible study, is I let my quote unquote humanity show more. Does that make sense? And so they'll hear like this. Well, and even before church this Sunday, I had to get on one of my kids and it was it was not pretty because he was acting a fool. And so that being able to do that and not your own children. Yeah. One of my kids, yeah. one of my kids, because <laughs> yeah. um, he was just acting the fool. And so I, I pulled him aside. I, well, I yelled his name out in the hallway and everybody kind of looked at me. I was like, you need to come here right now because we got to have a conversation. Mm. But but not trying to hide that. Right. Because they need to see me even at my best or at my worst. Right. That, that my mm. congregation does. And, and if I'm trying to hide myself from them, then that's when that pedestal gets even higher. Right. When I yeah. try to perceive and show myself as better than I actually am. That's when people go, oh, well, he's he really is that holy. But in those small groups, in those small groups, whether it be, like I said, Sunday school or um, or, you know, uh, Wednesday night Bible study or anything like that that we're doing. I really I really do not hesitate talking about to level with them. Have. Yeah, to yeah. level with them, to tell them that me and me and my son or me and my wife had an argument. You know, to pray for us because it helps him to see this this um, this levity and who I am, right? Because I'm just like I said, I'm just a guy who God has equipped, who has called God has called here to serve His church the best way I know how. And so I don't need I don't. But you are right, Logan. There is this automatic pedestal that is put up there. Why do you think and, people worship? Why do you? What do you? What, what's the nature there uh, that's coming out when they worship? Or put pastors on a pedestal. I think part of it is right. Did you have? Do you want to say something, Logan? Yeah, I, I was going to answer it. If you, but if you want to, oh, excuse oh, me, Logan. We have a guest. You can answer <laughs> later on your own. Yeah, when, I'll let you guys hear this in a minute, Logan. All right, um, Josh is for us. But, but here, here's one of the things I think. One of the things I think is I get to stand up in front of them and have their undivided attention, uh-huh. right, for thirty to forty-five minutes a Sunday. And so with that comes a level of authority and they look at me having that authority. And when they look at me having that authority, they go, okay, well, because he's been trained and because he's in that position, then I have to, I should, he, he is better than I am. Right. Mm -hmm. In in that, in that category, right. In in the category of being well-trained and being, you know, uh, able to communicate well and all that stuff. So because he has that authority and I get to demonstrate that authority, right. Every Sunday, yeah. every Wednesday night, right. When, when they're looking at me to learn from me, it's the same thing like with a teacher in a classroom, right. That teacher in the classroom has authority because they get to stand up in front of people and teach. Right. And you've got to listen to them because they're the, they're the authority on that subject that you're learning, right? Not that I'm saying I'm the authority, but that's how they're of viewing me, of right? Because um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to, when I'm asked a question, and I think this is something that other pastors need to need to um, do. Not that I'm saying I'm the best at it. I'm not afraid to say I don't know. Those are three of the most powerful words in the world. I don't know because I'd rather say I don't know than make something up, right? Mm. Then then lead somebody astray. 
And um, I say, I don't know, but let's find out together or we'll look at it a little bit deeper or whatever. Anyway, what do you want to say, Logan? Yeah, it's just it's automatic, right? So culturally, we uh, tend to think of people who are clergy um, as elevated in some way spiritually, right? They have a, a deeper connection to a spiritual realm, right? That, but uh, I mean, it's not true. They're not any more connected than any other regenerated human being, right? And any other sinner who's been brought to life. Um, and then think about the the positioning, right? The structure of how we do church in America. Um, people, mm-hmm. you, you're one person looking at hundreds of people and you have hundreds of eyes looking at just you, right? And you're standing above them. You're in a position mm-hmm. where you have their undivided attention. As you said, it naturally comes and you cannot separate yourself from that. But even in a spiritual aspect, you are bringing and you are responsible for the bringing of the word of God, right? You're bringing that to them. Um, and that is an act of worship. Right. It is that you are that you in your um, moment of listening and and just uh, giving giving that individual who's preaching above you uh, your undivided attention is an act of worship of you submitting under the word of God. And it's an act of worship for them to bring you the word of God in obedience. And hopefully it's correct and without error as much as possible that um, I'm not saying they're theology, they're always going to get every sermon right. But. Mistakes would be honest mistakes, not, you know, willful, heretical statements that are being made from the pulpit, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're worshiping and you're worshiping together and together you're coming together as a as body. Worship doesn't just stop when the music stops. It continues through the entire service. Right. Um, so I, I don't think there is a, a potential or even a way for you to make that separation uh, in the minds of the congregation. What that does mean though, since you can't make that separation, that they are automatically going to put you on that pedestal, uh, that you now have the responsibility. That is your cross to bear. You need to now honor that responsibility as much as possible yeah. to live a life in private and in public that is revealing of the, of the, uh, uh, of the call that you've been given, which leads me to my next question. Um, we could talk about sexual assault specifically, but like when pastors screw up and screw up big, what is the, it, I, I find that to be a reason for a lot of evangelical uh, uh, ex evangelicals, the ex evangelical movement. Uh, they kind of take that and they bear down on that. And they're like, this is what Christianity is. Uh, it's Cause it's people. cancel culture the church it's cancel culture it's the same as what's happening everywhere else you think so well i'd love to hear what josh has to say but i that's my guess that's my take well i think i think there's a couple things going on i I think you've you've got this perfect mix right of cancel culture and then also at the same time just unaccountability and and so so i don't know i don't know how up to date you guys are but this last week has been um, very difficult for me as a pastor, mm. uh, specifically because Sunday the SBC right they released yep. their 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 document right and then mm-hmm. later that week they they released the the database and all this stuff and so I, I don't know what you're it, referring to can you keep uh, catch us up me specifically? yeah so so the um I'll, I'll just do a quick overview I'm not basically. a nerd about 
SBC <laughs> like you guys are. <laughs> what does that mean for lay person? You guys are talking. You guys are like pastor to pastor. The two of you. You're like, oh yeah. Well, when I was over at like the SBC, the LOS, you know, they came and they were just like, oh, dude, like Elemento, and you're like, whoa, cool. All right, so I'll clarify for for everybody who doesn't know what's going on. So the Southern Baptist Convention has since last year. There's been a special tax task force to um, uncover any type of sexual abuse that's been happening in SBC churches. Oh, okay. okay. And it's, it came to light because there were some ladies who stepped forward who said that they were um, assaulted in that way. I don't want to get you banned on TikTok. But anyway, so just there, use there the were, acronyms. Yeah, I, I'm not that smart, dude. There were some pillaging. Uh, <laughs> I'll try. Bad things happen. Some, some pillaging. Yeah. So bad things happen. And so anyway, and so they released their document. It was a 300 page document that they released with all their findings this past Sunday. Mm. And this past Sunday, not only did those documents come to light, but also some very well-known pastors within our convention were also on that document saying that they had been involved in some of those nefarious activities. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. and, and the SBC, Global, right, or the SBC, yeah, the SBC entity uh, also said that, hey, we don't have a database of people who have been accused, and then comes to find out we have a seven hundred li- or seven hundred name list of people who have been accused but never prosecuted, right? And these are all like and, people that are in positions of authority within the S- the Southern Baptist churches. Yes. Okay. Now, and here, it went, went back ten years. Piece. Okay. Huh? It was a ten year cover up. Something well, there's names on that list as far back as 40 years ago. Wow. And so wow, wow, woo, wow. But here here's part of the issue. Because the SBC is structured the way that it is, the Southern Baptist Convention is is um arranged the way that it is. It's a convention of all autonomous churches, churches that yeah, we're all together. autonomous churches. So we're not held to any type of of standard outside of the local body. Does that make sense? And yep. so because we're all autonomous churches, like we don't have to report to anybody other than like local state government, you know, that type of stuff. But we don't have sure. an entity head that we have to report to. And so there's there's this there's this difficulty now where what do we do? What do you do? Like the Southern Baptist Convention can't come in and fire these people who are pastors ah. of this church who have been accused. Right. Um, so they have no authority over the church other than they can cut them off from the convention, right? They can choose to cut them off from the convention, which has happened before. Um, but that's the only recourse they really have anyway. So it's been, it's been, it's been one heck of a week. Now for most people within the Southern Baptist, you better not have been on that list, buddy, or we're going to have a conversation. (laughs) No, I wasn't on that list. I wasn't on that list. Um, but here, here's the thing for most people in our congregation, they have no idea what's happened. Like I was yeah. talking about it with my Sunday school class and they're like, I don't have any idea what's happening. Right. Well, um, they're children. But people. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, this one... <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm not a Southern no. Baptist. You guys mean Sunday school. You guys actually, it's church before church, right? It is. It yeah, is. It's uh, weird. It is so it's... weird. Stop it. Church yeah. before church. Just call Believe it all church. <laughs> um, yeah. So the church before church. Um, anyway, we were talking about it and. <laughs> They're like, I have no idea what's going on. And so then I had to do a little spiel about what's happening. Anyway, it's it's a mess. And for for me as a pastor, like thinking about all these accusations and, and all that stuff going forward, I just got to I got to step back 
And Logan, to answer your question that you asked 10 minutes ago about this, I think part of the problem is, is that when we are worshiping a pastor and a pastor falls, then it's easy to use him as the scapegoat for all of Christianity. Uh, Right. So so that happened with me with Ravi Zacharias. Like, I I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't worship worshiping him, but I, uh, there was a moment in college where I had questions uh, that I couldn't answer. Um, And every question that made me like in my stomach hurt, like whether I was going to remain a Christian or not. Ravi, William Lane Craig mm-hmm. all had like answers. And to see Ravi's fall was like, wow. Yeah. That it w- and what that told me is one, I don't want to be that guy. And two, I need a I need a group of men around me that are keeping me accountable. Shame on the men around him that didn't keep him accountable though, to be That's honest true. with you. But I think I think the reality is he didn't have men around him keeping him accountable. I don't think he let people around him to keep him accountable. He, oh. From what I understand, he wasn't even a member of a local church. Right? So he had no ties to wow. anything other he, than his he, ministry. He spent 30 days with his family a year. Yeah. Each year. It's so, not healthy. No, it's not. not. And so what happens, though, is that we use the people in authority, right, the people in power as the um, the scale by which people measure Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so when they fail, if they fail, like Ravi or like whoever you want to name, when and if they fail, then we say then Jesus has to fail, too. Oh, I have a good right. co- I have a good retort for this one. I saw it on TikTok today. I'm excited. <laughs> it was Frank good, Turek. Did you guys hear Frank Turek before? Have you you seen him? He does. Uh, yeah, I know him. yeah, he's a, a Molinist that uh, yeah. does a lot of apologetic videos. Yeah, right? his apologetics it's pretty good. Um, but he said uh, he said if you heard somebody misplaying Beethoven, you wouldn't get mm-hmm. mad at Beethoven because they didn't play that Beethoven song properly. Correct. You would right. be like frustrated at the person that messed it up. So why are you mad at people that fail at playing Jesus? Jesus was perfect. We are not. All right. Anyway, I got excited because, you know, I no, like those little synchronicities I think throughout the day. I think that's a that's great good. retort and I've heard it before. And but the problem is, is people don't care. Yeah. They don't care, right? I mean, if they want to blame Jesus by looking at his followers, and they don't understand Jesus to begin with, right? Mm. Um, That's and right. so That's right. And and I'll tell you, I went through some some church hurt when I was younger, and I was away from the church for about four or five years because of it. Okay, yeah. And um, but then I had to realize that it wasn't the church that I was following; it was Jesus. Right. Right. And and knowing that that people are going to fail, that people are going to mess up, that people are going to do very, very, very stupid things. And knowing that that's not Jesus doing those things. That's right. Right. right? I, I, I go into So right now I'm church hopping and I go into every one of these churches knowing that at some point I'm either going to hurt these people or they're going to hurt me. Like something like it maybe not a big deal, maybe just like slightly offend them. But we 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 always hurt each other. Right. We're, if we live lives together and enjoy time together, we're going to, you know, do something that just might like normal families. Yeah. Well, I know. Just, just like think about families. it. Like if we're in any type of relationship, specifically think about your wife and your kids. Right. How many times have you hurt them and they've hurt you? Too right. Many. But that's the cost of love. 
right? Yes. The cost of love is that we're going to hurt each other, whether we mean to or we don't. But the the action of love is loving them regardless of that, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of that hurt. When my son tells me that I'm the worst dad in the world because he can't get on his Nintendo, right? Yep. You know, I know that he's just mad at valid. me because of that action. It, yeah, valid. I you mean, know. yeah, but, I would mark you as the worst. <laughs> How dare you? You told me I couldn't I know, get on I'm my PC to play my video games? He has a but, Nintendo. Okay. Get this kid a PlayStation. Yeah. Well, he's got one of those DSs. Or not the DS. Yeah. The ones Switch. Switch. yeah. Um, but anyway... So it's just it's just one of those things where when we measure Jesus by Jesus's followers, we're they're definitely Jesus is definitely going to fail us. But when we measure Jesus by who Jesus is, that's right. What Jesus has done, we know that he can never fail us. Right. And um, anyway, what did Matt Chandler say? He he was like, it's got to be the most self-righteous thing for you to get mad and judge people in your congregation for hurting you. Like the apostles didn't turn their back on Jesus because of Judas. Right. And that was a quote. Right. I'm pretty sure that was a quote for quote. Right. That was, like, that was, that, I think he, that was Chandler. Like, yeah. That was good. Yeah. Like, and you're not right. David. You're not, you're not David. <laughs> I love it. That, that should be, that's going to go down in history. So, are, uh, are, Josh, are you reformed also? Uh, I, I would say that I definitely lean more reformed than most of the people, even in my congregation. Yeah, are you I'm just American? curious. Are you a dad? And are, are I'm you American, American and I'm a dad. I'm You're mad, bro. <laughs> we have to get sure. Listen, if there's anybody out there listening, okay, I would talk to Logan about this. We need. We, we would really like to, to pay the community back by getting some T-shirts made by anybody that listens to us. But mm. our logo is really cool. Like, we, we paid somebody to do that for us. I mean, it's rad. It's very rad. It's, like, it's ultra <laughs> so... rad, bro. It's bodacious. Are you kidding me? Uh, but we would like, if there's anybody out there that's a good screen printer or anything, uh, we would love to do that. Because I think it would be kind of cool eventually, Logan, and I know we could talk about this offline, but uh, maybe to give to buy enough t-shirts that we could give a t-shirt to our guests yeah. just as a, a thank you for coming onto the show. And cause we're, we're not here. Like we want to have kind of a ministry here online, but mm. we want to have a ministry where we open the lines of communication. Like we've, we've talked about worship music with John. We're talking about church pastorship. Like these are opportunities for people that are out there watching on TikTok or, or listening, watching on YouTube is like, if you have a question that you've always wanted to ask a pastor just about like how church goes, like this is your moment right now to do that. Uh, and and same with the guests that we have in the future. That's obviously that's the important part about catching us live. But um, these are your opportunities to like, hey, you can kind of anonymously like ask some of these harder questions and, and we can have these conversations. Yeah. Did we get one this week? Um, I don't have specific. I don't have one specifically. I do have a list of questions. I've been writing questions down though for Josh. So if you run out, I have more. Nice. <laughs> Throw them at me. I, I love this type of stuff, man. So one of the, I think one of the greatest tools for discipleship is allowing people to ask questions, right? Yeah. Too what often. is discipleship, Josh? Talk about what, Just, break it down in the most easiest of terms for the, a lay person to, to know. What is discipleship? Discipleship is chasing after Jesus, right? I mean, that that's what discipleship is, is, is us pursuing Jesus. And sometimes you don't know where to do that. And so you need some help and your pastors and those who have been walking with Jesus longer should drive you 
to want to know more about Jesus, um, to want to love him more, to want to know what he has said and how to think biblically. Like one of my favorite uh, YouTubers is Mike Winger, and he's not reformed at all, but he really wants. Uh, do y'all know Mike Winger? Yeah, the name sounds kind of familiar. I'm not totally sure. But I yeah. think one of the things he does do, even though he doesn't agree so much with our soteriology, is that he helps people work through scripture and understand what scripture says and how to think biblically. Right. And I think that's a lot of what is missing in our churches today is that we don't think biblically. We think (laughs) I I hesitate to say it, but we think more um, practically and pragmatically than we do biblically. And not that those things always run against each other. Right. Pragmatically and biblically does not do not always run against each other. But sometimes we need to stop and think and say, is what we're doing because it's easy and it's the best and we think it's the best way to do it. Is that actually the most biblical way to do it? Um, and the only way you know that is if you know the teachings of Jesus, right? If you know the Bible, you know <laughs> yeah. what the Bible has said, right? And so I, I was actually preaching this sermon one time, and I was telling my congregation, "It's like I was this close. I was just so close." to entering some heresy in my sermon just to see if you guys were going to pay attention, right? Mm. Just to see if you were able to, to sift out the, the wheat from the tear, right? Because so many times we've got these charismatic guys who, who speak some truth and some falsehoods, right? Yeah. yeah and, God broke and, the law for love. Oh yeah. There Calm down, Stephen Furtick. <laughs> we'll go back. We'll give you a page of your own coloring book. You can go back and sit in the corner and color <laughs> But the reality is, I think it was Spurgeon who said that um, wisdom or discernment is not discerning discerning right from wrong. It's discerning almost right. Oh, yes. Right from right. almost right. It's Dude, that's so yeah. powerful. I love that statement. Say it again yes. so that people didn't – I'm sure they weren't paying attention. Pay attention, people. Now go ahead. Say it again. <laughs> no, it's, it's – discernment isn't um, discerning between what, right and wrong. It's discerning between right and almost right. Man, right, because powerful. almost right isn't right. Yes, right. You get you right up to the to the line, and so um, one of the things that I, I have to do with my congregation. So when I got here, um, my congregation is a lot older. It's a lot of older folks, right? And one of the things we have to do with them, and I hate saying it this way, but one of the things we have to do is we have to do a form of deconstructing. Yeah, right. You have to, and and not in the way that you know, the atheist deconstruct, but we're deconstructing the things of, of uh, American Christianity and distilling them down into the things of actual biblical Christianity, because those lines cross way too often in churches, right? The American Christianity and biblical Christianity, and they're trying, and, and the reality is, is they're so far opposed from one another, right? That, yes, it's, 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 it's hard because people are, really let's talk about that can we talk about what are some of the differences between american christianity and biblical christianity yeah i think that yeah i think that's so so for example like the pursuit of life liberty and happiness is antithetical to the gospel right this idea this this pursuit of happiness being this this supreme ethic in our life is is not biblical at all we should be pursuing God's glory at all times. Righteousness, holiness. Right. Righteousness, holiness. And, and we do that by living out, right, Jesus' edict of loving God with everything that we have. 
right? And loving people as we love ourselves. And, and the reality is, is we like to play that game that we're doing that. But what we're really doing is we're, we're loving ourselves. And then any type of overflow we get from that, we'll love God and we'll love people. But, but yeah. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, Josh. <coughs> but then he's, up, uh, well, I didn't mean to choke you up. I'm sorry. I usually, the response is <laughs> no, to that. Oh, that's great. I love me too. And I have a wonderful plan for my life as well. So Jesus and I are buds, right? Because it doesn't, that's American Christianity. He's down with me, right? Yeah. Well, and so, and I, and what we do is with American Christianity, we, we, one of the things that happens is we cherry pick verses, right? Mm. We, uh, I always tell proof people, text. I was like, when okay. we proof text something, right? When we cherry pick a verse out of context and apply it to ourselves, then we're missing out on what God is really saying. And let me tell you what God is really saying is more glorious than whatever you're trying to make it say. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so one of the one of the examples I use all the time uh, to help people see this. You do that on purpose, dude. Seriously. You put your glasses on because I put mine on. I'm taking mine off now. That's just. I took mine off. I just want to be a part of the Don't group. even just don't even watch the show, guys. Just go. <laughs> this is stupid. There's nothing good here. <laughs> Nothing, nothing edifying is happening on the show. Just go find, go listen to Brandon Robertson, whatever that guy's name. No, don't do that. <laughs> but, but what I was saying is one of the one of the proof texts that I love to help people understand the depth and the richness of is Philippians yes. four thirteen. Right? Is is you know Paul saying I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I was like, mm-hmm. look, if you just back up three verses, you actually see that what. Paul is saying is way more glorious than whatever you're trying to get across. Yeah. When he's saying that I can love God when I have, or I can endure, right. I can be content in Jesus, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, whether I'm in chains or whether I'm free, it doesn't matter my situation. I found freedom in Christ. I find contentment in Christ. And to me, if you're thinking biblically, that is a a more beautiful message than the fact that God's going to help me win a football game. Right. Or God's going to make Absolutely. me. I, I love how you specifically used a football game. Absolutely. Well, you know, we're in Texas <laughs> football, so. We're basketball. What is, didn't. Uh, sports. One of the guys. Yeah, sports. Sports. Sports team, guys. One of those guys. No, uh, what's his name? Steph Curry. Didn't he do a Philippians 413 uh, brand on a shoe or something like that? Something like that, probably. Yeah. Well, and then the other ones with that Second Chronicles, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then not and seek my face, and I will, whatever. I don't remember yeah. all of it, but and basically, turn from their wicked ways, <laughs> and, turn, and then I will bless them and heal their land, or whatever. Yeah. It is. And I'm like, guys, we're not Israel, right? That's not a promise to us. So That's listen, a promise to God's chosen people. I want to share a, a short testimony with you guys, real quick, because um, I haven't yeah. had a t- chance to talk to Logan, um, but. I was having a conversation with my my very new friend, Grace Armour, who I really do actually adore. Uh, this is the gentleman, the young gentleman who uh, made the statement that Christian, that Calvinists weren't Christians. But we've had a very good conversation since then. Um, and one of the things that, you know, hey, context is very important. OK, that, put that put that scripture back in context or so help me. But it's uh, it's very important to do things. And so we were reading, we were talking about election. We were talking about predestination a little bit. And he was using second Peter three, nine, where it says, um, God is not willing that any should perish. And I said, yes, I understand any, 
I said, but, but Cam, who is Peter writing to? He's not writing to the world. He is writing to believers. Mm-hmm. So there is very different. The Bible is not written for the world. I mean, it's it's a great it it is the best way to live life. But the Bible is love letters to the people of God, the chosen people of God, that from yeah. the before the foundations of the world that He chose you in Him. Uh, it is for us to 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 learn and and know Him. So yeah. I just wanted to share that because it was really good. I mean. We he had was a really responsive good conversation. to that, though. He was resp- dude. He he walked away. There was a moment where I could see that he really stopped for a second and was like, "Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah," you know. And uh, and so and again, like I don't care. I, I'm not trying to make anybody a Calvinist at all. I could care less. Right. I just defending my view of Scripture. I don't care if you do not adopt Reformed theology. That is between you and God. Ultimately, I think that, and this is not me trying to be arrogant in any way, but I do think that Reformed theology is the next best step in doctrine, in theology, but you it, you are absolutely saved. Whether The thief on the cross knew zero theology. And right. that day was with Christ in paradise. And he wasn't baptized either. Oneness Pentecostal people. So, ha, take that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that, uh, you know, when, when I talk about. Uh, so it's funny when I interviewed for this 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 job here uh, to serve at this church. One of the questions they asked me is if I was Calvinist. Ooh. And um, I asked them, I said, listen, here, here's what I'll tell you. I do lean more reformed. I am more reformed in my soteriology but I'm not going to make that a talking point. Right. Right. I can preach the word of God without harping on the tulip. Right. I can preach the, the word of God without focusing on, you know, um, on, on those specific doctrines. Right. And hammering those away. I'm not going to be preaching John Calvin from the pulpit. Right. I'm going to be pre- preaching Jesus Christ. Um, but then I also, I also said to them, I said, so let me ask you this. You don't think that God chooses who he wants to save. How do you make sense of anybody in the old Testament? How do you make right. sense of anybody in the Old Testament? Abraham was chosen. Noah was chosen. David was chosen. The entire nation of Israel was chosen. The entire nation of Israel yeah. was chosen. They were not God's a, chosen not, people. Abraham was out there worshiping a pagan God, and God said, I want yeah. you to be the man. We have a question from the audience. It's on TikTok, yeah. but let me bring it up. So let's get, I'd like each of us to, am, to try to answer this question. So we'll have Josh start, then Logan, and then I'll, I'll throw in my two cents. Royal Hope Mission says, then would you say that Jesus doesn't love everyone or does love everyone, but willing, uh, but will love them to, I'm guessing like love them basically to hell. So I, I think the question ultimately is, uh, how do you answer the question? Well, does does that mean that Jesus doesn't love everyone? Go ahead, Josh. You start us off. Yeah, you gave me a softball. Um, <laughs> be, no, hey, so, look. I mean, here's I'm the just saying. The scripture says to be ready. You know, in and out of season to give an yeah, answer. No, I, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's a good question because I, here, here's here's what we read right in John three sixteen. It tells us, "For God loved the world in this way, that He gave His only Son." Right. Um, so it, there is an instance in where God loves the world, his creation. He loves his creation, right? But yes, some are destined for hell. That's just, yeah. I mean, there's no way to, there's no way around it. So does God love people? He loves people in general, his creation. He loves what he has created, but he knows that there are going to be those who won't turn to him, that are going to reject him. 
And yeah. so, no, he doesn't love those. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's the that's the. It's most- a very hard look. This is a nuanced it, question. Nobody needs uh, to yeah. take everything that we say verbatim. Just listen. And, you know, come up, read the scripture yourself. It's okay. We don't have to all agree on this for the yeah. folks in the audience too. Go ahead, uh, Logan. Yeah. So I, I, it's very clear that God is going to say he'll have mercy on who he has mercy and he'll, you know, bring his wrath on who he has wrath, right? Um, God pours out his benevolent love on everyone in creation, right? But, the, and that's just the communal grace that we all received at any moment. God has a bow stretched out towards the center with an arrow targeted for their heart. And at any moment they can wind up in hell. And the only thing that is preventing them from falling into the pits of hell is God himself, right? That he sustains their life and gives them life every single day. If that isn't an act of mercy, grace, and love every single day, that I, a wretched sinner who has a heart turned against God, and he lets me live one more day, one more chance, one more chance. But at the end of the day, he chooses, he regenerates, he does all the work. He gets all the glory. He is sovereign. Um, it is a different type of love, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. God is not obligated to save anyone. And it is correct. a tremendous act of mercy and grace that he saves even one of us. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say that again. God is not obligated to save anyone. It is a tremendous act of mercy and grace that he saves even one of us because none are righteous. None seek after God, according to Romans 311. Uh, and then also according to, I believe, Psalm or maybe possibly Proverbs, but I don't remember the reference point of that one. Well, I mean, um, he, he, it's, it's in there, it's though. It's very clear, right? It's very clear that before God saves us, we are children of wrath. We are enemies of God. You just look yeah. at, at uh, Romans chapter five. I mean, God, Paul is telling us that, that there is there is no hope for anyone outside of Christ. Because of, it is only because of his mercy. It is only because of his grace. Like we go from condemned to not condemned because of his love for his people. Right. And yeah. who those people are, we don't know. And so we don't know. Or reformed people always get this. Well, why aren't you going to preach the gospel? Or why should you go preach the gospel if you don't know who's going to be saved? Well, I always tell them the reason why we go preach the gospel is because Jesus commanded it. Yeah, and, and we don't know who's going to be saved. Right? We and have I no don't idea. Know the elect. And we don't know the elect, Absolutely. right? And so the reality is, is we go and we tell people about Jesus because Jesus said, go and make disciples, right? That's another thing I harp on all the time. God didn't, Jesus. Jesus didn't tell us to go make converts. He tells us to go make disciples. And too many of our churches focus on numbers of making converts rather than making disciples. Amen. Right. Yeah. Rather and than so, teaching people how to, to live the life that God has called them to, we just go, oh, you said the sinner's prayer. You're saved. Good for you. Let's go. And you said something earlier that when you're discipling, you, you teach people how to read the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you give them a pattern and a method. But I would t- I always like for me specifically, I try to take discipleship a little bit further where I'm teaching people how to teach people that can teach people. Right. So it has a, a, a three way pattern that I'm teaching you how to how to um, facilitate a lesson that instructs someone how to instruct someone. Right. So that you're giving them, you're teaching leaders to lead others. And then that hopefully that person under you, right? The whole multi-level marketing system, the pyramid scheme stuff, mm-hmm. it kind of applies here where I'm teaching you how to, for lack of a better expression, sell a product that 
that the person uses the product and teaches somebody how to use the product. Right. And I know that's, I I really don't like comparing it that way, but I, when we teach and we bring up disciples, we need to be creating disciple makers that make disciples. Right. How amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm kind of beating that up because it's so important. I can't just bring you to water and teach you to drink. I need you to, teach the rest of the herd how to come to the water, how to drink and how to bring other people to the, to the fountain so that they can drink. It's so important. And and we kind of, we always stop. And I'm not saying that that's what you were saying, that you stop there. Um, But I I always just want to beat that in that. Like if you, every last one of us, if you're a believer and you're talking to somebody about Jesus and, and they're, they're uh, receptive, right? They're listening. They're, they're liking that. That's your opportunity to start breathing life into this individual. Let me teach you yeah. everything. And I want to teach you how to teach somebody. I want to show you what I did that helped you understand what I just taught you, the the method that I used, you know, and then they take that and then they make their own, you know, art and science of it on how to share the gospel and create disciples. And it grows. How is how amazing? I was thinking about this the other day because I've been doing a lot of eschatology type studies. How amazing is it that the gospel can never be stopped? Yeah, it can't. You can't stop the gospel, dude. It's been two thousand years, and it still can't be stopped. Like I'm, la- I'm laughing because he sends me a book called Kingdom Come. Because <laughs> oh, yeah, we're talking about all millennialism. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I love it. I love it. Oh. Yes, the gospel cannot be stopped. The, the gospel the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's amazing, man, and it's true. Think about it. Like, the, what are you going to? No government, nothing can stop. You could stop printing Bibles, and guess what? There's enough Jews out there that know the Old Testament, and there's enough Christians out there that know the New for the gospel to make sense and for good doctrine and theology to always, always, always last. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it unbelievable. Really I mean, it's, it's it is unbelievable um, that. That God's not going to fail, right? I mean, yes. and that's and that's what we take away from that is that God's not going to fail. He's going to do what He wants to do when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it. So if tomorrow the government confiscated all all of our Bibles, like there's still God's still going to make a way, right? I think right. about the churches and yes. around the world, like we're in we're in such a, a privileged position, right? As yes. Americans, right? Yeah, we have Bibles. I probably have 12 Bibles and Greek and Hebrew Bibles. Somebody in the chat earlier said you could go to the Dollar Tree and buy Bibles for $1.25 each. Yeah, absolutely. And so we have access to our, on our phones, right? Yeah. On our, our, on the computer. And, and, and I think that that access has numbed us to the, the need, right? Well, Um, it's made us dumber. That's just information in general. The the amount of it we have has made us all dumb. Because I think about, there was a book I read. Go ahead, Logan. I was just going to say it's made us dumb because now the the accessibility makes yes. us lazy, right? Because yep. comfort is one of the number one things that kills your faith, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean in a, in a literal sense where it's killing your faith, but like um, it, it causes you to become very relaxed. And I don't need God right now. It doesn't cost anything. Out. Yeah, it doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. But when I, I don't know, like if I would have had to go to college, if I would have gone to college without Google, oh, where I had to go to the library and look something up and a little, uh-uh. I forgot how much younger you were than me. When I was when, when I was ready to go to college, we didn't have Google, buddy. <laughs> when I joined the Navy, we had didn't, Google was out there, maybe. We had asked Jeeves. Did y'all still have it. those carbon copy papers for like all your 
Yeah, in order to copy things, you know, we had to leave it out in the sun for four days. You know, we had to put, like a layer of pink so we're paper, taking stone tablets, and chisels. Yes, yes. it was very difficult to do portraits, um, but those caricatures at the dock were great. Yeah, there, there, there's a great book on. There's two good books on this. Uh, one is the God Smuggler, um, mm. and then the and then Writing the Insanity, the the, the, uh, the God Smuggler by yeah. Brother Andrews, and then the Insanity of God. And I can't remember the author's mm-hmm. name at the moment. Um, but so yeah. Brother Andrews is actually trying to smuggle Bibles into Russia, into the Soviet Union behind the Iron Curtain after World War II. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's getting Bibles in. Uh, and the same author from Insanity of God, he also does the same thing where he's like studying individuals who, um, this is during the Mogadishu time, so early 90s, um, okay. but in areas where Christianity is outlawed, where they are not allowed to have Bibles. And what he finds as people have memorized scripture, whole books of scripture, because they couldn't have it. So yeah. right when the Soviet Union started ripping Bibles away from Eastern Orthodox churches, um, they started like doing everything they could to memorize scripture and pass it around and copy it down and hand it off. And they knew that if they got caught with this or a complete Bible, they were going to jail. Well, when they would interview individuals in the jail, like it, they just continued to move the gospel forward. It was because it, because it was no longer so easily accessible and so tangible uh, they had to make ways to get the gospel out. And, I, and you know how um, Christ says that not a dot or an iota will pass away. Like the word of God will not pass away before yes. like heaven and earth will pass away before the word of God. Right. Yeah. There's something that the Holy Spirit puts into us in moments like that, where we're being uh, persecuted, that he drives us to that deep memorization of scripture so that mm-hmm. not a dot or an iota will ever pass away. He uses us as the instruments to do it. He uses us as yeah. an instrument to write it down. And he's going to use us as the instruments to preserve it. I keep thinking of the book of Eli, man. My my wife was just watching it again. The Denzel Washington movie with. uh, Yeah. Oh, that's a good movie. Dude, it is great. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty violent. It's got some gore in it, but, but listen, (laughs) like. Spoiler alert. He's blind. He's blind. He's carrying this, this bio, this Braille Bible with him. And then ends up basically it gets taken away from him, but he still goes to the place where they're developing a printing press and, and, verbatim reads it off from the beginning in the beginning was uh, um oh gosh i'm getting john john and genesis was the yes in the beginning god created the heavens or thank you i'm a terrible christian i'm gonna repent after this um <laughs> i love it but he uh he goes there and he's he's like be ready to write this down and he just starts at genesis and it's like i was thinking about this like i don't people were so this is one thing i learned early on in the navy that like your first your first maybe 10 years of your career, maybe this is applicable for everybody. This is something I learned in my career. It's like, you can, you see life kind of like in this, this much of a circle, right? Like you're, you're coming up through the ranks, you're immature. You don't really see a whole lot of the world as you get older and mature. And especially in the military, as you progressed in the ranks and you know, you, you become like middle management into leadership, your view gets bigger. And you start to see like the bigger purpose uh, of things. And I have no idea the point that I was trying to make, but there's a story. So there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Well, I, Dude, think- I lose it all the time. I have no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I think that we, part of our problem is, okay, let me, let me just be transparent with you guys. Part of my problem is, is that if I can't do something all the way, then I don't even want to start doing it. 
Right. And I think that that's, that's at the heart of a lot of, of Christians, right? That if we can't, or a lot of people who claim claim to be followers of Jesus, right? Is that if we can't do it wholeheartedly, then we don't want to do it at all. And so I was actually having this conversation with one of our teenagers and I was like, look, I know that you're struggling with that because that's something that I struggle with and we're really similar. But what we have to understand is that it's those little decisions every day that make up a bigger picture, right? Mm-hmm. It's those little choices that you make. So when, when people come to the Bible, they're like, I don't want to study it because I don't know it all. Well, let me, let me set you free. You'll never know it all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, and, for sure. and, and it's okay to learn piece by piece. It's okay oh. to study a little bit. It's okay to just know, you know, if all you want to do for a whole That's year right. is focus on the gospel of John, then then focus on the gospel of John. That's right. Yeah. Come on, every man. single day, right? And, and so you get preach. that little picture. Come on, man. And then Come you'll on. start going and you'll and you'll get a bigger picture and a big you, you've got until you die, right? Like yeah. you've got all this time. And, and it could um, be tomorrow. And it could be tomorrow, <laughs> right? But I'm just I just I just get so frustrated because they're like, I don't want to read it because I don't understand it. I'm like you're not going to understand it unless you read it, right? You're not going to understand it unless you study, unless you devote your your time. Like part of the reason that I know it is because I spent seven years in school, you know, and and this was something that was something I ate, you know, slept, break, oh, yeah. theology for seven yeah. years. And will you ever get to the level that I'm at? Not that I'm at a high level, right? But will you ever, don't attain to be where I am, right? Don't He's shoot a level to be 30 where I am. Yeah, I'm a level 37. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, I always took you for a goblin slayer. I guess whatever. <laughs> but I'm just saying that that sometimes what we do is we look at people and we go, "I'm not going to ever be where they are." So why would I want to start now? Yeah, right. Why would I want to start here if I'm never going to get there? Well, you don't know if you're ever going to get there. Just start. The more that you read and the more so i've got this guy so this is just anecdotal and i'm sorry my brain is a little um but anyway mine is too man i couldn't remember my whole thing i went through i i thought i had a great point and i just dug i'll I'll keep you guys on track what's up well no i'm just there's this guy in my church who's a new christian and it amazes it amazes me how much he knows right Mm. and the reason why he knows it is because he's actually in his word like he Mm. has as first peter says he's got that desire Right. Like an infant for the milk. He's got that desire to study and know the word. So we'll be in Sunday school or we'll be in Bible study and we'll say something. He goes, hey, you know what? That sounds a lot like what Paul said back here. Right. Or, you know, this is that connection here. And it's because he's actually reading the word. He's not like a scholar. Right. And he's not reading books. He is just studying and listening to the word of God. And he is just God is opening his eyes to Mm. to the, the glory of his word. And I think sometimes we get so bogged down and we go, oh, well, it's just reading your Bible. No, no, like reading your Bible is having a conversation with the Lord, right? The yeah. God who saved you, reading your Bible is that thing it's right him there talking that to you. For. It's, it's him, him talking you. to you. Yep. And if you can't read or you have problems reading, you got dys- dyslexia or whatever it is, right? There's tons of audio apps yeah. and listening yeah. YouTube to YouTube videos, you know, little, podcasts, YouTube videos, podcasts. Um, doctrines of rat. But just being in his word is enough. You're never, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be somebody who sits in their room for 42 hours a week reading yeah. your Bible. But if you're just, if you're earnestly seeking him, he's going to reveal himself to you. And you're yeah. going to see these connections and this, the beauty of scripture. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't know. I, I just I, do, I think do, do sometimes feel, we. Do you feel that the fire fades? Right. So like it comes yeah, back. Uh, it does in spurts. Like, but it's taken I, me about twenty years, brother. I'm, I'm seriously. So when I when I was so we have a gentleman in my men's group. His name is Damien. Great dude. Uh, he's in his fifties, but. He's an early con. He's he's a young Christian, but like he is so on fire and just like wants to read everything he gets his hands on, mm-hmm. uh, and it's encouraging to me. And it also makes me go like, "What I need to be doing? Why am I not I, like, like that? Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I've been saved for years, and somewhere that fire just burns, and it comes back every now and then. Like when I was reading Genesis twenty-two, and I saw the gospel in Genesis twenty-two, I went on this deep dive of studying everything that happened, and like, like, like the land of how Israel's laid out, and like just. I, I I couldn't get enough of it. I wanted to know more and more and more. And I don't know. I don't know why that is that I fade in and out. Am I consuming myself with the world a lot in that moment? Or, I think so. or that I put. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not being, no, not you specifically, but like people that are doing that. Because we are distracted. We are constantly yeah. bombarded with information. Our bodies are, our minds are constantly being motivated to make different decisions. You know, just the simple fact that we're able to recognize and understand and intellectualize color and movement and light. Like, I get it. The world distracts us, right? Um, but I mean, I, I want that back. Well, I want to, and I pray for I that. I want to comment on that too, but I, I want to, since we have we have about 39 people watching in the live right now so if you guys are are here in the live just to let you know we are live on youtube doctrines of rad the doctrines of rad podcast is on youtube we are streaming so you can see all three of us on the same screen uh please go over there and subscribe and then you can find us also on tiktok all of us obviously are here on tiktok but just uh if if you like this conversation and we're gonna we're not going anywhere yet. We still we're just ha- we're getting there. We're gonna have some. We're gonna keep talking. But um, if you like what you guys are hearing, tell people. Let them know. Like we wanna we wanna invite people onto the show. We want to to bring people on to have conversations and answer hard questions. We're gonna bring guests and maybe hey look I, maybe one day we can get somebody like a Kim Riddle Barger or a uh, a John MacArthur onto the show to come have a conversation or a Matt Chandler. You know like. We'll get a, a somebody to come on, but um, if you guys just kind of oh, right now they've got a Josh Slater. Just right, right now we're we're gonna settle. <laughs> right now we're settling with a Josh Slater. But one of these days we'll get a Matt Chandler. <laughs> but <laughs> please, check we're at level thirty-seven warlock. We're looking for top tier elf. Yeah, I don't know the what any of that means. Rad. I've never played that game. I played D and D a couple times. It's pretty fun. My son's real into it. Um, so, uh, in regard to the fire, man, like I, uh, when I first got saved, I definitely felt like I was like, um, a, a wrecking ball without a chain. Like I was just, just, just smashing people. With the gospel, running I was, into them. if I was walking into Starbucks to get a, a coffee, I was preaching the gospel. I was telling well, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus. So the yes. coffee's dark, but we can add some creamer. That darkness is your sin. That's right. <laughs> but when Jesus says that Jesus. we're the light of the world, you add a little bit of flavor to the darkness and it makes it a little bit lighter. You don't see the dark making it darker, do you? It's the light making it lighter. And that's how Jesus works. God bless you, sister. Anyway, uh, but no, but seriously, like I'll, I'll be, I'll just say like having, having this podcast, I know we're only, you know, six kind of episodes in or whatever, but this has been 
my entire like everything has shifted in the last you know three or four weeks man i have been like i have been in my word more i've been listening to like books on tapes sermons on tapes i've been uh just making preparations for the podcast things to think about keeping myself sharp and i've never felt more alive more com- confident and and just like excited to to take each day and mm-hmm. it's all because like it it is exactly what you said logan it's the more that I consume myself with the world, the more I look like the world. And then, you know, I'm just kind of uh, just floating around. But as I'm like into the word of God and I'm meditating daily and I'm communicating with him, I'm thinking, you know, holy things. And, and just it's like, man, life is better. I feel happier. Yeah. I'm way more content. I mean, just the fire's coming back, bro. I am. I don't know what it is. I'm telling you guys, there is a movement happening There is a revival awakening happening in the church. It started when COVID, it started with the lockdowns. It is going, it is becoming a thing. There's going to be a movement that I don't think any of us can expect. I'm not trying to say that I'm speaking prophetically, but there's something in my bones that I just feel is just like tangible and and real. And I don't know if you guys are feeling that or not, but I know I am. Here's, here's the other thing that we have to be careful with. Okay. Um, because I hear both of you guys, and and I hear that you you want this fire, you want this this flame stoked within you. The fear is though, or or what we have to realize is that the fire shows itself in different in different people. Yes, right. Mm. And so we don't need to chase after somebody else's fire, mm. right? And so, however, God is 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 stoking that within you. You, you have to recognize Absolutely. that it's not going to look the same as da- Damien, right? Was his name? Yeah. His name was? yeah. It's, your fire is not going to look the same as Damien's fire, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not and that. And so what, one of the things that can be discouraging, though, is when we see somebody who is like on fire going to the coffee shop and, and talking to everybody about Jesus. We're like, man, why can't I be like that? Yeah. Well, maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not how God right. is. Created. Yeah, not everybody is is called to to be uh, Stuart Nettle out on the the campuses answering questions from people about Jesus and apologetics. Isn't he wonderful like, though? Isn't he? Bro, wonderful? that guy is great. Have you ever it's like so watched his YouTube videos? I mean, yeah, he, he's arguing with children, but oh, yeah, sure. No. But it's still so good because aren't we all arguing with children? Especially if you're on TikTok. Well, and yes. so Logan, we've had this conversation before that. One of the things that, that I you have to know what your limitations are too. Right? Yeah. You have to know where you're gifted, right? And so for me, I'm not a gifted apologist. So mm. I would never go and do that on a campus, yeah, good, right? Good. Because that's not that's not what I've been trained to do. That's not what I know. Yeah. What I know and what God has equipped me to do is to teach people, right? To train people, right? To do the Ephesians four of a pastor, which is to to uh, train up the congregation. For the ministry, right? Yeah. That's what God has done for me. Now, you may be an apologist and you want to go out there and that's the route. God has given you a desire. I mean, we know we have apologist friends here on, on TikTok, right? Oh, yeah. Who that's their, I, that is I their. I will publicly name. say I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying not. you are. I'm just saying that that could be. Anything, <laughs> I right? wish. But knowing who God has created us to be and how mm. he has equipped us is one of the most important things for our Christian walk. Because when we start looking at other people going, man, I wish I could do that, or I wish that God had gifted me this way. Well, now you're that little toe telling the mouth that you're more important than he is. 
right? Yeah. I want your job. Oh, bro. I'm just pulling that scripture up right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's read it. I love, let's read that Bible. So first Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would also not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, uh, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Like all of that is like, so don't chase. Josh is so right. And Logan is so right. Don't chase other people's gifts. Like the Bible says you can covet the gifts. You, if you see someone that has a gift, you can, you can ask God for that gift too. Like you can, you can be like, Lord, I want, I, I would like that gift because it would glorify you. I, obviously he's only going to give it, if he knows that you can handle it, if it brings him glory as all the right reasons, but we're not all meant to be street preachers. We're not all meant to be pastors or any of the other roles in the church. Well, and, and, and don't miss out on this, Drew, right after he talks about the gifts in chapter 12, he leads right into love. Amen. How do you love? Brother, you said you weren't going to preach on this podcast. (laughs) What's that? Oh, yeah. You said you weren't going (laughs) to preach on this podcast, brother. But Let's I'm go. just saying that he's right into listen, love, my I mean, friend. He's saying that in order for us to love one another yes. the way that God has designed us to love one another, we have to know what we're what our role is in the church and serve mm. in that role. Know what God has equipped you to do so that you can love people, right? So that you can love his church, so you can uh, continue and push forth his mission. Yeah. And too often we just want to sit on our haunches. And I saw somebody here in just a, a, a few comments back ask, how do we find out what our gift is? Right. And that's a question that you 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 hear a lot or I hear a lot is how do I find out what my gift is? Well, one of the ways that you find out what your gift is, I told some guys this, it's where your passion meets your ability. That's Ooh, one of the ways you find I like that. Right? Yeah, right. it, you shouldn't go searching. You shouldn't go searching for a gift, right? It just naturally happens. You're like, I really love like teaching the Bible and I want to teach yeah. it to small groups. And like, you just start doing it. Well, know? so I, I'm going to push back just a little bit. Sometimes you have to find your gift. Sometimes yeah. that gift, I never thought I would be a preacher. Okay. But did was, you, did you search the gift is what I'm saying? Were you searching for a gift? Well, and found I wasn't. No, God, God was, showed me the gift, right? Yeah. See, that's what I mean. That's okay. what I mean. Okay. But, but, but also sometimes you have to search out a lot of different things in order to get to the right thing. Right. So mm. if God has gifted you in children's ministry, if that's what you're going to do, you have to step out in faith to find that. Maybe you don't know that you're good in that ministry. Maybe you don't know that you're good at this thing. Until you actually step out and do it. That that's actually right? a very good point, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so for Pat, and this leads us back to like the topic for pastoring in America. Um, when I went through that church hurt, and I went and talked to a pastor a couple's towns over, and I was like, "Look, this is what I'm going through. This is what's happening. What does this mean for me?" And he's like, "You know, one of the best things young potential preachers can do, or potential pastors can do, is to go and start doing it." 
and they either find mm-hmm. that, that 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 it's just not they find like it's not a it's not a, a feeling of guilt or turmoil. It's just a emptiness in a sense. Like I'm supposed to be doing something else, and I felt that in the army. Like I knew that I was supposed to be doing something else. Mm. And I, I kept avoiding it, kept avoiding it. And finally, God put it on my heart so hard that to the point that it made me like sick. I was like, I got like, I was so stressed out about this. And then it brought it, it crippled me to the point where I finally made a decision. Like, I have to leave the army to go preach. I have to. Um, but sadly, I didn't get the opportunity like I'd like um, to even see if that is what I'm supposed to be doing. I have to go to try different things try and fail. Right. To fail forward and just like, you know what, Lord, I'm going to try this out. Oh, I'm not a preacher. Like, but maybe I'm good at like just loving on people, you know, and yeah, helping yeah. out the congregation well, in the another thing, way. And the thing is sometimes, OK, I talked about where passion meets ability. Right. That's that's where mm-hmm. your gift is. Right. Sometimes that ability has to be honed. Right. Mm. That ability has to be um, you, you don't become a Matt Chandler or a John MacArthur overnight. Right. right? You don't become those those great apologists overnight. They have to do a lot of work. They have to have they have to they have to enter into that. Right. So maybe you have the ability and you have the passion, but maybe that passion's not refined enough. Right. And so or that ability is not refined enough. Yeah. Or that ability. Yeah. That ability is not refined enough. So you got to dive in and you got to do it and you've got to be okay with doing the crappy stuff. Oh, can yeah. I say that? I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. This is our podcast. Be- we use the S word. We do. <laughs> Salvation. Salvation. <laughs> not a word. I don't know. Why. I don't you've know why Logan's okay going against doing, You've got to be okay with doing the crappy stuff. If you want to do the more yeah. quote unquote glorified stuff. Yeah, like if discipleship's you're a pastor, dirty. It's a dirty yeah, business. If you're a pastor and a preacher and you're not willing to put up chairs, then you're not ready to be a pastor. Right. If you're a pastor or a preacher and you're not ready to change diapers, then you're not ready to be a pastor because the pastor's role is to serve in whatever capacity it may be. Right. That we do have this thing in, in Acts where we talk about, you know, the deacon serving the table so that the, the uh, apostles can preach the word. Right. We have that. But it's a willingness. They mm. the, the apostles had the willingness to do it. They just didn't have the time to do it. Does that make sense? And so they needed yeah. other people to do it around them. No, and so yeah. if you're not going to get down in the dirt, if you're not going to smell like your sheep, as I've heard one person say it, then you, you're not ready to be a pastor. Sir, you smell like yeah. sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so TCR, the Christian Republic, uh, asked this question. Does my social media affect my fear of missing out? Because when I'm watching videos or looking at pictures, I'm always jealous of other people and what they're doing or saying. Mm. let's say you guys i would say you you gotta recognize who you are right that's a self-esteem thing as much as i i love social media it is uh it is a hassle right and it It really can affect in your spiritual walk as well absolutely definitely and so you just you have to know yourself i think that that's the first thing like if it's if it's causing you those issues then i think you need to address those issues so you may have to take a sabbatical from social media Right. You may have to stop posting TikToks or YouTube videos or whatever to figure out what your heart is in it. And I had to do that because I was I was on this app for way too long. Oh, yeah. TikTok for way too long. And I had to go, man, I'm not able I'm not able to clean up my own house. I'm not able to do my own things because I'm spending so much time doing this. That really doesn't. I mean, did, did my wife tell you to say that? 
Did she tell you to no. say that? Because she said those exact words to me. So I don't know why you guys have sign. such terrible wives. My wife lets me do whatever I want. What's the problem here? She just wants you to get yeah. away. She just, yeah, she's. That's probably more true. Like you're she's just you're, like, you're causing more chaos than anything, Drew. We've been right? married twenty years, um, dude. Like, there's no, there's nothing exciting anymore. We just love each other. We're like, hey, what's up? I, I haven't seen you in a while. Hey, I'm good. <laughs> Can't wait. Goals, squad goals, baby. Hashtag. I love it. But yes, it it, it can become a stumbling block. Um, I want to. I want to say. Marlon Allers actually brought up a great Bible verse, and I, I want to mention it because it's on TikTok. Proverbs uh, eighteen sixteen: A man's gift opens doors for him, and brings him before great men. And that's totally relevant when it came. We were talking about, you know, how do you know about your gifts? You know, the things that you are passionate about. You know, when your passion meets your ability, that's you know when you see that opening doors. You know, like I've always looked, I've always thought of God that way as like, Lord don't let me go down any, don't let me go through any doors that you don't want me to go through. Like when it comes to decisions or like where to live, who to talk to, where to go to church, like just close me off from making any missteps. Please guide my steps to the right place and close the doors that I don't need to go through. And that's kind of the thing. Even when I was up for orders in the military, like when I'd be, uh, it'd be like nine months before my transfer date. And it's like, well, we could go here or we could go here. And my prayer was like, Lord, just send us where we're supposed to go. Close all of the doors that do not, that I do not need to walk through and make my, make my path. No. Yeah. But thank you, uh, Marlon, for your, for those Bible verses. I appreciate that. So Pastor Slater, what would you say to your fellow American pastors right now? Um, if you could tell them one thing, oh, dude, you did you steal my question? I can. I'm omnipresent. I'm in there with you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I right. can't. Hey, excuse me, Lord. Did you hear that? <clears throat> hey, don't don't you put that on me, Ricky. Look, I'm backing away. Yeah, don't you put that voodoo on me, Ricky Bobby? I'm backing away from this screen as much as possible. He said. <laughs> um, but if you could tell one, like your fellow American pastors, men who are called to lead that they they have the trust of the, the church in their hands and we see pastors who are hiding their um i just saw a tiktok right before we got on a woman who is a, a wife to a pastor she's basically discussing this what happened so uh, a man 20 years ago at 30 he's now 50 at 30 years old had an affair with a 16 year old in his uh, oh yeah, you, in his youth, right? Youth group, mm. um, and she like they they continued to have a relationship, right? At mm-hmm. 30, 16, and this was twenty years ago. He preached for twenty more years. Oh yeah, 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 and and didn't no <clears throat> conviction, no turmoil, just kept leading people. And I, I imagine the Lord used his words for good somehow. Yeah. He's um, got to. But at the same time, I wonder why didn't God strike him down? Right. right? If if you could die from eating communion inappropriately, right? I mean, God has every God. right to do that too because He's merciful, dude. Yeah, and it was a mercy, probably, and probably not just for him, but for all parties involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you could say one thing to the American pastor community, what would it be like? Um, I think the first thing I would say 
and as a pastor, there's probably going to be more, more than one. Um, but the first thing I would say is humility is your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that you cannot serve. We can hear you typing, brother. Uh, oh, you can? <laughs> typing hard. Oh, shoot. I was just typing. I was giving us likes. I'm so sorry. Well, they can't hear, they can't hear it on the, on the YouTube thing. But oh, my, my bad. bad. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, no. So yeah, I think that humility is your friend. And one of the things that we talked about earlier is that pastors get put on this pedestal and sometimes they believe their own hype. Don't believe your own hype. No, no, that the only person that you are working for, the only person that, that needs to be your hype man is Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm. Right. And what happens when we don't let humility dictate our ministry is we fall into sin. Yeah. We fall into the the idea that we can do it all, Mm. that this is my show, right? Mm. That this is all about me. You guys come to this church to look at me. No, no. We are just a signpost pointing to Jesus. Amen. That's good. Yeah. Like I have to tell Logan all the time, like, bro, this is not your show. Stop calling this podcast <laughs> your show. You no, know, for real though. So not that's a yeah. real thing. I've I've yeah. talked to like Drew where I'm like, hey man, I I'm never gonna measure up to what I feel that I've been called to do. And I know the answer. I know the right answer. And sure enough, he tells me the right answer. He's like, Good, you're not supposed to. You're never going to measure up. You're you're a sinful creature, Logan. Like you're not Jesus. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like again, it goes back to the whole point. It's like, don't blame the the learning, the struggling pianist that is not Beethoven for not having to be able to play perfect Beethoven. All right. And we're all trying to live like Christ, but we are not Christ. We are failed beings. Right. That's every pastor all the way down to the very first time uh, church visitor. We are we are fallible human beings. We're we're riddled with sin, and if it wasn't if it wasn't for God's mercy, he, we would be all destroyed. Yeah. Well, and so to go back to your your question, Logan, about you know the guy who had that affair some twenty plus years ago, the reason why he kept preaching was because of pride. Yeah. Like that's he didn't take his sin seriously, right? And mm, that's good. And so when when we don't take our sin seriously, like we can continue to do quote unquote work for the Lord and see fruit in that and think that God's blessing us. God is disregarding that sinful action, but he needs me, right? He needs me to propagate his message. He needs me to build up his church. He needs me. Right. First thing that we have to understand is that God doesn't need us. That's right. right. Come on now. He's never needed us. But in his grace and in his mercy and in his love for us, he chooses to use us. He chooses Mm. to drag us alongside him. Right. But when we're not following him and we're trying to lead him where we want to go. And that's where that's where chaos ensues. Yeah, I agree. We got another question from uh, the Christian Republic. Does God ever have regrets? Now, I know the Bible now, but the Bible does say that there's one there. There's a verse that where uh, Genesis we, six. Yeah, yeah where so, God regretted. Five. 
let's talk about that because I think that's probably what he's asking. Yeah, so Moses is writing Genesis, right? Um, so this is an anthropomorphic expression, right? So as human beings, we can't truly come to fathom, understand the complexity of God, right? A, right. a deity that is omnipotent, right? Omnipresent, omnitemporal, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, right? All of these omnis, right? Um Omnibenevolent. That's a good one, right? He's all good. Um, but he's all knowing, right? So he can't, he quite literally cannot regret something he already knows and is seeing right. and, is, and, and is every bit a part of. So this anthropomorphic expression is to show that the author, when writing, is God's deep pain that he felt, although he knew it's still expressing a portion of what was happening and it shows. And what the author is really trying to reveal is that if God could regret, that's how bad the world had gotten. Yes. Right. That their hearts were evil or wicked and evil continuously. Right. That, that there, there was no reason to save any of them. And notice, and we were talking about election earlier, God choosing people like he chose eight. Why those eight? He didn't have to choose Noah. He chose them specifically. Um, But yeah, it's an anthropomorphic expression. It's what we yeah. It's it's a way for us to understand because we're humans. Human emotions on God when we're writing because, and it's oftentimes not to express God's emotion, but the severity of the circumstances surrounding. uh, It's for us the catalyst for God's emotion. The purpose is for us to to understand it. I have a question for you, Pastor Slater. Uh, in it's in uh, relation to it, actually, hang on a second. Did anybody else want to add any more about the regrets? Josh, did you want to say anything about that? No, I think Logan hit it on the head. I, I think, think you did too. A way for us to to yeah. understand um, more of God. There you go, Logan. I agree. Well, I agree. Exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. So, kind of in the same vein as is, what would you say to other Christians uh, or other pastors out there? What is one thing if you had the ability to outlaw? one specific thing the church of true believers could never do this again what would be what is one thing and it i don't it might be a harder question to but it can be a silly cheeky question or it can be maybe a serious one i'll tell you this one right now now this is right now what i would do i would take all flags out of a church why do can you, somebody explain like why that. are Ooh. we required are we required by the United States to have oh. so I uh, independent fundamental Baptist churches I've been doing a lot of church hopping I went to an OPC church and it was taking notes vigorously <laughs> I, it was actually refreshing to not see an American flag in the church right because I as a as a as a patriot and as a veteran um, can quickly see how my americanism this is going on the my, highlight reel boys <laughs> how my americanism can act like my american ideology become an idol in my life and so is there is there a is there a decree from the government? Like there can't be because of separation no. of church and state. Here's why do we is. have why do we have the white blue and nationalism red we have that Christian flag in one in one corner, and then the American flag in the other. Idolatry. Yeah, <laughs> I think that. Well, here's the thing: what are most of our churches full with? Boomers, sinners. Right? Ah, boomers. Right? No, I think. Hey, this is good. Yeah, I think this. You're going to drive a good point and, home here. And yeah. so we're we're our our so boomers happened right after World War II, right? And yeah. so patriotism patriotism was like 
I, I, I swole right an idol too. And when yeah. Those, yeah, yeah. And so all of those leaders and those deacons and those elders are using that. And and not only that, but what else? What else? What else popped up in the fifties? Dispensationalism, right? Where we are the new Israel, yeah. right? We are the the chosen people of God. We are the ones who God is going to use to bring about his mission as Americans. Well, we got to rebuild the temple too. (laughs) Well, yeah, but, but, but America is going to be involved. (sighs) Right. Yeah. I know. It's so crazy. And so because of that, we use that flag and, and it's not just the flag, like, like this Memorial day, uh, you know, Memorial day was, is today. And yesterday most churches did something right. And here's what I did. I'll, 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 I'll flat out tell you what it is. I took the flags down out of the church, out of the sanctuary when I first got here. That was one of the things I just kind of discreetly moved out of the way and nobody said anything about it. Nice. But on Memorial Day, I wanted to recognize Memorial Day because I knew if I didn't, there'd be a a pushback. So here's what I did. I got up and I said, we are here to worship God. That doesn't mean that we can't think about those who have given their lives for our freedom to worship God in this. Mm. But even those people who have given their lives up so that we can worship do not equal or is not greater than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Like, so as we we remember those who have laid their lives down, let us keep our eyes focused on the one who laid his life down for something greater. Right. And and so that and that was my Memorial Day spiel. Like it wasn't anything great. You know, my service wasn't right. You know, there are a lot of people who build their services around Memorial Day. Right. They build their their services around. They they have all these patriotic songs that they sing and all this stuff. No, man, we did worship songs and we did the message that I already had lined up to preach. Like, I'm not going to stray from. Yeah, if you're doing expository preaching, you ain't got to shift unless it's Christmas or Easter. I'm kidding. Don't even shift for them. Like, hey, we're not going to talk. I know it's Easter, but we ain't going to talk about Easter because we're we're, we're in, like, the the book of Daniel. I wish my church was expository. (sighs) They're not. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, last Easter, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I preached in the book of Acts last Easter. I didn't even stop for for Easter. Nice. Good for um, you. I just kept going because I'm like, well, I've already got this plap- mapped out, and I forgot when Easter was. So anyway, <laughs> but, um, but here's the thing is, like, we just have to be really mindful of that. If if I couldn't take my church in, in, in the way that it looks and in some of the ways that it worships and move it to a different location and people be comfortable or people from the outside come and visit. And there, and, and I think of it this way, like if I see somebody come in, if I go into a worship service, Logan, let me ask you this. If you go into a worship service and you see a flag mm-hmm. on the stage, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? If I see a flag on the stage, like in the corner, yeah. like the American, yeah, the American flag. Yeah. You, I get, well, this happened this weekend. Uh, and I was like, why is that there? <laughs> That's what came, that was the first thing that came to mind because there was the American flag. And then on the other, in the other corner, uh, it was this Christian. It's like the white flag with the blue square. The Christian flag. The Christian flag, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, so we have a, Christians have a flag. Um, it's official. Um, but oh, we also have a pledge to that flag, too, if you didn't know. Do There's we a pledge really? for the Christian flag? Yeah, we have a pledge to a Christian. I don't know flag. if I like that. I don't like it at all. I, here, here's the thing: like, I don't even at times. No, I know you guys are veterans, and I love you guys, but I even have time a hard time saying the pledge of allegiance to our flag. Sure. In, in any oh, don't hey, don't right? apologize, bro. I could uh, I, I could true. not be. It's refreshing I'd leave to a, hear. 
I would call myself anything other than American if I if it came down to it. Then don't worry. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Well, because, well, because here's I the thing. Here's I don't the want thing. to you guys, because I know that you guys sacrifice time, right? And energy yeah. well, and effort job. to be in our military, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to offend you in that, but I'm just I'm saying that when I go to a sports game and they're doing the Pledge of Allegiance, I'll stand up out of respect. Sure, I'm not sure. Say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? Uh, I'm not going to sing the national anthem. That I, I, I feel like. American nationalism has crept so far into the Christian church that, that, that we, we can't see the divide. Can't separate it. Right. Yeah. And that's why the left attacks Christianity. Because if mm. they're attacking Christianity, then they're attacking America, which is really what they want to attack. Right. And so, and, and, and even in, in, yeah. in other countries, right. When they think of Americans, what do they think of? They think of Christians. Right. They think about and when they think about Christians, they think about Americans. And it's just one of these things that that they should. I'm proud to be an American. I'm grateful that I live in America. I'm grateful that God and his providence put me here. Yes. At the same time, this is not the place that I worship. This isn't our home. This is and this isn't our home. And uh, right. Anyway, what are we going so, to say? So the, I, I'm a Christian first. Right. Yes. I have a lot of labels. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm. You know, I, I, there's yeah. tons of ways to describe me, but I am a Christian first. Yes. I, I cannot let the American dream, which is antithetical to the gospel, begin to creep into biblical like belief. Right. Right. Um, and, and I mean, your, your comment on the left, like I was going to say that you know, most, the, the, the goal of the left is to remove capitalism. Right. So I, that's the great evil and to install Marxism in its place. But yeah. And uh, Christians still, I mean, we need to that. still speak out about that stuff too. We have to, we have to, we have to consider, you know, the, the love for fellow man. And uh, we do have some responsibilities to our fellow men, so we should speak out when evil is being proclaimed uh, anytime that, uh, you know, especially like abortion, it's a political issue, but it's also a God issue too. It's a, it's, so we have to, there's, it's a very weird line between, you know, nationalism and, and, and Christianity sometimes. And, and Slade, I hear what you're saying that you're not going to like, you're, you're, you're a proud American. You just don't say those things because of a pushback because of how much nationalism has crept into Christian yeah. thought. Is that right? Like, right, right. You're, you're I mean, taking a stand thing. for a purpose. Exactly. So here, here's, here's the other thing. Like if America fell away tomorrow, I'd still be okay. Cause this isn't my home. Yeah. I'd be a believer I mean, still. I wouldn't change that. But I, I would, I, w- I will tell you, there are thousands and millions of people in our churches today that if America collapsed, they would no longer believe in Christianity. What? Yeah. In our churches, <laughs> in America, America, that can't be. That can't yeah. be. Yeah. And so I, I always, I always tell people in my church that I mean, they can say their pledge of the allegiance. They can sing the sure. Star Spangled Banner. They can do all that stuff. That's fine. That, that's a that's a liberty thing. But if your allegiance falls more to your president or your government or your, your country, political party, your your political party. Right. If, if that's where your allegiance is and your allegiance cannot be to Christ, you cannot have a, a I, I feel like you can't have a dual allegiance. You can't. Right? And a man who is double minded is at war with himself. Yeah. They're like a wave that is being tossed to and fro. Um, 
Well, our Calvin was right, man. Our hearts are little idol factories. We we make mm-hmm. idols out of everything. Yeah. This podcast could become an idol. It very easily Pastor, could. Pastor Slater will watch every episode from here on out now because he was on. I'll just wait for the, the next Doctor Durant. <laughs> no, what? Watch our show every week. Every yeah, you better watch it every. You better at least like at least watch the TikTok highlights. Oh, yeah. oh goodness. So yeah, I'll, were you I'll definitely watch the highlights? Thank you. At least we get that. So, Josh, were you um, were you pastoring at the be at the onset of COVID? Were you pastoring a church? Uh, kind of. I was the associate pastor at a church when COVID happened. So um, let's let's talk about this because I actually have very strong feelings about the church's response to COVID, and I would like to hear uh, what some of your thoughts were. Now, I understand, and let me. I'll just preface it with saying this: like when COVID started, no one knew what was really going on. No one. So I I don't, I don't look at people that made like knee jerk reactions, uh, masked up their church, did all this stuff. Right. Like I get it. I get it. But at some point I felt like the pastors were failing to take care of their congregation by not addressing the, the uh, inaccuracies and inconsistencies and bringing some sense of uh, understanding knowledge and peace over this pandemic, right? And we saw the churches like MacArthur's church, they, you know, in California, they tried to shut them down. They said, absolutely not. We will stay open. We will not mandate anything. Um, I was in a church before I ended up at the church that I'm at now that wanted to mandate masks. uh, And I had a real conviction over it. Now, I I, I don't care if you want to wear masks in church, but I had a real conviction over the mandating of it, especially in a worship service. So I would love to hear the what what was challenging for you during that time, uh, or or at least what you saw from your perspective, and yeah. how pastors moving forward the next time inevitably that something like this happens, what should we do, and how should we you know what kind of grace can we give? How, what should we think about all that? That was my question. He stole it. Was it really? <laughs> No, no, that was. I was going to say we were really in sync this week, Logan. (laughs) So let me let me let me preface this by saying that I, my church was in a weird circumstance. We didn't have a a a senior pastor at the time. I was the associate pastor, so I was trying to. Anyway, I didn't have a whole lot of power, right, and 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 influence in that. Sure. I also want to say that, like you said, Drew, nobody knew what was going on, right, and so we have to extend grace to pastors who were trying to make decisions that they were damned if they did or damned if they didn't. Yeah. Right. But they but they weren't though. Right? Like in a in a in a kingdom by the congregation country. though, they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so so in my in my circumstance at, at the church that I was in in Georgia, okay, what I did was I submitted my or I I inquired the deacons, what they wanted to do with the church, because I wasn't the pastor to make the decisions. I was there as just a figurehead at the time. Right. And so one of the things that we recognized, and at that time specifically, you know, we knew that, or we were told that the elderly and those with um, extra issues were going to be the most vulnerable. Comorbidities and all that stuff. Comorbidities. Yeah. Yeah. And my church specifically had a lot of old people. Okay, and so we were really cautious when it all came out. Mm. And so we we didn't have services. We just did online services. 
for that time. Uh, we only did that for about a month and a half, I guess it was. And then we went to outdoor services. And then after about six weeks of that, we went to doing in-person services. So we took it slow with, with the knowledge that we didn't know what was going on. Right. And so we wanted to get all the facts out before we kind of made, well, anyway, but we wanted to, to make sure that we were, we were taking care of the congregation. Like my, as a pastor, like my number one concern was the congregants that I had, the yeah. old people that I knew that if they got it, they were probably going to die. Right. But that might have been Jesus calling them home. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you also want to be responsible and wise. Right. And you can be sued, can't you? Like as a as a as a business, yeah. I mean, there, I, I had a pastor get sued because yeah. Here's so here's 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 something that pa- people don't realize pastors have to deal with. I I I had a pastor tell me that he got sued for a woman coming to him and telling him, "Hey, my husband is beating on me. I need to get away." He helped her get away. That husband came back and sued her or sued the pastor, saying that he caused their divorce. Mm. Right, and did they like, win. They, in um, they they did, um, but they had to prove that in their uh, with, within their covenants and their bylaws, certain things are stated, um, mm. especially when it comes to divorce. Right, so yeah. uh, the, you as a business causing an action that affects people's right. lives, he actually sued them. Well, um, well and, they, and they, that's that's I true. do believe they I did mean, win. We have to be really careful as far as pastors and in the church in general right so a lot of a lot of people are talking about um weddings right who are mm. you going to let get married in your church mm, right. that, has to, that has to be in your covenant bibles we talked it about it has to be right yeah. and, and the reality is is if it's not in your in your covenant and in your bylaws and you just say well we'll just we'll make that decision on the fly right who gets married and then let's say a gay couple wants to come to your church and get married for whatever reason, and you turn them away. Well, you can get sued. That's segregation or, or discrimination. Right? Excuse me. And so yeah. whether they're right or whether they're wrong, right? The reality is, is that we have to be protected. We have to be wise in those situations. So yeah. is the potential for me to say, okay, we're going to ignore what Georgia says, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to say, Georgia says that we shouldn't be meeting. We're going to ignore that. You guys come to church and somebody gets sick and die. And their family maybe doesn't have a family of believers, right? And now, right. now they're saying that the reason that they died was because they came to church and because of my decision. So where do we, I mean, this, it brings up, a, these are very nuanced things, but like, right. W- these aren't things that the early church necessarily, I mean, maybe they did deal with it in, in that way, but you know, we are in a lawsuit happy country uh, in, in a time where, you know, uh, entitlements, says if i don't get my way i can take you to court to get my way but where does a church say no like (laughs) no i i don't care like you sue me take me to jail i'm gonna obey the statutes of god i i'm sorry if my congregation doesn't have a pastor but i'm not going to do the things that the state says that i should do so that's why god has god has raised up men who are like they, they're lawyers, right? They're just Christians. They're lawyers, mm-hmm. and they they understand the law, and they provide avenues. And it, one of the things I remember uh, the SBC sending out to a bunch of churches was that, hey, you need to have this somewhere in your Bibles. You have to have this, like this golden statement that says this specific thing, or you could be sued for discrimination. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and you also got to think, okay, it's one thing if John MacArthur's church with their huge budget decides to defy the government, they've got the resources to fight that. But if you've got a little 30, 40 congregation church in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. Who, I mean, these are just decisions that pastors have to make. Whether yeah, you're these are hard, these are hard right? decisions, man. These are not these, easy. These are. And, and that's yeah. the thing is they're so nuanced, right? Yes. Like, you could say, Josh, you know, because you guys didn't meet, you were wrong. And I can say, well, yeah, but did you know all the information? Right. right. And and so it, it's one of those things where it again, it was one of the it was it was a difficult season for everybody because we're all trying to navigate this this uh, scary bug. Right. That we, we didn't know a whole lot about. And so we're just trying to make the best decisions with the with the information you have with the information that we have yeah, yeah. hey um, i i can can i i'm gonna take it i'm gonna derail the topic a little bit um, yeah yeah last week i got stumped with a question that i i thought i knew the answer to i'd love to get your take on it pastor later um what about me so, can i give you we, my take too we, we we did it last week we <laughs> Oh, 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 <laughs> that like, question. This oh, is yeah. why no. I love him. His he, So he's senile, right? So because I don't. Mm-hmm. Are you talking <laughs> about the gay marriage question? Yeah. yeah. So, so gay, so gay, so, so did you hear it? Okay. So, um, yeah. is, is there a difference? Would you perform or attend weddings? All right. That's the question. Would you perform and attend uh, two different, two different answers for each, um, a gay wedding? Uh, a same-sex yeah. marriage. So for you, I imagine it's no for a performing and attending. Okay, no for performing. Okay. Yep. Um, for attending, most likely not. Okay. But here's where here's where the rubber meets the road, right? Like, where are we going to go with that? Like, how consistent are we going to be in those discussions? That's mm. what we are were you, talking about. This is brings because, up because yeah, yes. the next question I ask. What if it's uh, a Christian, non-Christian? Do you perform or attend? And what if it's uh, two atheist non-believers, just non-believers? Um, do you perform and attend and or attend? So, so okay, here, here's where it is. I would not perform for a, a believer and a non-believer. And if I did perform a marriage ceremony for the atheist, I would let them know that it's going to be a God-centered thing and so they can oh, so you use it as a way to evangelize in a sense huh yeah i would say listen i i will perform your your ceremony but you're going to hear the gospel whether do you, you do counseling to beforehand too would you like to sit them yeah. down and do so counseling? that's the other thing that's the other thing i would counsel with them we'd have six to eight weeks of marriage yeah that's gospel too. right there gospel time and, oh yeah and so so they're going to have to go through some hoops in order for me to marry them right what about now, attendance attendance would i attend i mean Probably. I probably would. Um, But see, here, here's, but here's the thing. If I'm going to attend, okay. So I guess, I guess the real question is, is when we look at marriage, how are we looking at it? Are we looking at it as a picture of the gospel, which we know as Christians it is, or are we looking at it as a secular institution too? And I think that's part of the problem we have right now is that we become muddled. Yeah. Because we're double minded, right? right? We, we, yeah. Come on. So marriage has become, something that the sec- secular world has taken over, right? You have to get a marriage license to get married, right? You have to go through all these other things, basically for tax purposes, right? I mean, right. that's why you get, you get those marriage certificates. That's why you do that stuff. So when you look at a marriage, like... Do you know why the government's involved in marriage? 
it's no, because no. it's because they know that a functioning family, the nuclear family, operates appropriately when there are two individuals in the home, right? So if the government is focused on population, right, and getting the next generation to to come to a specific, you know, uh, quantity, they're they're going to be involved in making sure that that quantity of people, that next generation of people that come along, are in structure in a structure of some kind. And that's why the government's actually involved in marriage. And we see that kind of with China, right? Where they had that, you know, one, one child family. Yep. Um, and now they actually have a problem. They have people leaving the workforce and no one to backfill. And that's why like, similarly, the government America is involved in having a marriage license. It is a Judeo Christian tradition that has been now hijacked by a secular world. And, it, and it's muddled right now. You got pastors doing marriages for non-believers like that. You can't. I, I. I. couldn't do it. I could not. I, but yeah, I, it, like you said, it could be a way. Well, what about believers that that require? That's right? yeah. That's another one. I, I. I did two of those. I did two of those actually. And so, I mean, here's the thing. Like we. We have to know that, as we've said multiple times, there are nuance to these conversations, right? Yeah. There. There are. There. There are times when we have to go. Okay. Well, let me look at this situation and see what what it is. When we draw. And some people can. I'm not one of these guys who's like a hardline guy on on a lot of things, right? Uh, on some things, I'm definitely I definitely am. But we have to know that you know those are opportunities for us to preach the gospel, right? Those yeah. are opportunities for us to. And so, if we're going to look at marriage, you know, as believers, we look at marriage and we look at it as you know this is a demonstration. Right. This is a picture. It is of, a picture of Christ in his church. Right. That's how we look at it. And that's how it should be looked at. But not everybody believes that. And so how do we best navigate those situations? Um, would you do a baby dedication? If you do baby dedications, would you do a baby dedication for pe- uh, people living out of, you know, a child born out of wedlock? You know, I didn't are, even attend my cousin's baby shower because the child was born out of wedlock. So I, I feel like I honestly would rather, and I'm not in your guys' position. This is just my opinion. I'm not a, I, I'm not able to give anybody in marriage right now. Um, I wouldn't do, I would be consistent across the board. A hundred percent. I would never even not with attendance. Consistent. Yeah. Even well, Luckily for me in the Navy, I was away from most of my family for 20 years. So they've already got married, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's a harder one. It's for sure a harder one. I, I feel like the only exception as of right now would be family members. But if, mm. if I had a, if I had a friend that was not a believer, I probably would not attend their wedding, but just cause I don't really want to go out. It really, <laughs> it's less about wanting to be there. Or it's more about not wanting Gas to Gas is at six thirteen a gallon. I ain't coming right. anyway. Well, like we have men's Bible line. study at six thirty in the morning on Tuesdays. And all the guys that go to it are like 70 years old. I don't get up at six 30. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> old men get up at like five in the morning, bro. <laughs> Yeah, dude, we're like we're like two hours past my bedtime right now. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, we got about three minutes left, so I think we need to find a good closing spot. And uh, unless there's any hot topics that Logan wanted to get to, yeah, he because he mentioned it. Um, oh, so right before we went live uh, in in the TikTok live, a woman came on. She said, "My pastor, because me and my boyfriend had our child out of wedlock, my pastor will not baptize our baby." I don't think that's right. 
Are they Did both you... confirming believers now and married though? They're not married yet. They're still well. Then I would wait till they're still were, her I, baby daddy. I would wait. But why is the baby being punished for the sins of the parents? Huh. That, that child's baptism is a covenant between God and that child. Not well, well no, because it it is because of the f- parents too, though. I, mm-hmm. The parents are every bit involved. Like they are charged. They 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 receive a charge at the child, the infant's uh, baptism, right? A charge to lead and mm-hmm. minister and guide and protect. Um, it's nuances, yeah, man. It's always, it's, there's never a, per, like we, we can, and here's the thing. Let's close on this too, before we get to the, the gospel at the end. But uh, all of these conversations that we're having, um, there's no perfect answer for some of these right. topics. Now there are, the Bible is very clear in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And we take definite stances on certain things, but some stuff is nuanced. And that's, and those are the the things that God has to equip pastors to deal with. And that goes back to the giftings and the callings. Like when you are operating outside of your calling, you are going to fail. God <laughs> gives these gifts. Like it's seriously. And even like, when you're operating inside of your calling, sometimes. Well, you're going to fail right? too, for sure. But uh, definitely. But... <laughs> well, Logan, obviously. That's, yeah, that's okay. Because he doesn't have pride at all. No, We're I, not going to no, break no, no, I can't. I tried to have it once. It didn't work. Well, we have guys, listen, uh, we have lots of topics that we could still discuss. Uh, thank you everybody for coming in here, hanging out with us. Our email address is doctrinesofrad at gmail.com. You can find us on TikTok, uh, find us on YouTube, Spotify, all the cool podcast kid places. Uh, and we would appreciate you guys, uh, you know, hanging out and asking us questions, giving us topics to talk about. And finally, what we like to do is anytime that we have a yes, we want to give them an opportunity to share the gospel and lead us out with the gospel. And we'll have an altar call at the end. So bow your, bow your heads, uh, close your <laughs> eyes, raise your hand. <laughs> but an no. invitational hymn, right? <laughs> right. But we're going to have Josh go ahead and miss. give us, we really appreciate having you brother on here. It's been a, this yeah, has dude, been an it's awesome been a pleasure. And this is a great, yeah, really good two hours. I feel like it's only been like 30 minutes. So close us out with the gospel. I will close the broadcast and then we'll chat for a couple seconds before you guys go to bed. Perfect. Well, the gospel is simple. The gospel is that we are sinners separated from a holy God, that we are stained with sin. And the only way that we can not be in that state anymore is through a perfect sacrifice. That perfect sacrifice came in the person and work of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. That's a simple gospel. I know we've been on here for a while, but um, here's the thing. God loves to save sinners. He loves to save sinners of which we all three are right. But we know a holy and righteous God because of his grace and his mercy turn to him. And he will save you. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Good night. Thanks for joining us. Episode six. We'll see you next week on the Doctrines of Rad podcast. And we are out.